right, so this morning we actually take, we are going to take a break, a full break from Judges. Uh, Kirk was going to be taking us into chapter 9, and his family got sick through the week, and it looked like he was going to be able to preach, and then I was helping Danica's cousin move yesterday, and around 11 o'clock I got a text that said he wasn't actually going to make it, so, uh, so I thought this would be a lot easier than staying in Judges, I'd do something from First Peter, it's a passage I've meditated on in the past. Um, but, you know, so I worked on it in the afternoon, uh, then we had some great company last night, and then I uh, got to work on it again last night, and I came to bed uh, around midnight, and Danica woke up, and she's like, so, you know, how did it go? And I said, terrible. <laughs> she said, oh, I'm sorry, and then went right back to bed. <laughs> so we'll see how this goes. Sometimes it goes better than others. Uh, but the great news is, is that uh, regardless of, of the insufficiencies of myself. Like, this is the Word of God. And we're just going to spend time meditating on the Word of God and may God use it for His honor and for the good of our souls to strengthen us for the race ahead. Uh, so I w- want to draw your attention. I'll read verses 11 and 12 again from chapter 2. These are, this is where we'll camp out, particularly in verse 11, though. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. All right, so once again, we'll we'll focus most of our attention on verse 11. I'll read it one more time, and I want to encourage you to think about these questions because this is what, the way we'll go through it. Uh, but to consider a word or a phrase, we're going to take it phrase by phrase, and just sort of meditate on it, how each word or phrase uh, is important to the very statement and how it relates with everything. And so um, we'll, we'll walk through that. But then as we go through it, just be thinking how God would have you particularly to respond or what piece of the passage God might be impressing on your own heart. So verse 11 again, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So really what I want to do, this is a way that sometimes I memorize scripture. I just try to take it word by word or phrase by phrase and really try to focus and emphasis and try to see how that phrase works within the big, bigger picture of the whole. Right? So that's how we're going to do it. So uh, We're not going to go in order, but we'll take it section by section. Um, so the first one I want to draw your attention to is this urging. This, this sets the whole tone of verse 11. So you might say it like this if you're memorizing it. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. I urge you. I beseech you. I exhort you. There's, 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 you don't get any kind of a hint in Peter right now and saying, well, I just want to make a suggestion to you. Now, you, you don't have to obey this if you don't want to. You know, take this for what it's worth. This is, this is my two cents. No, no, no. This is Peter sitting you down, grabbing you by the shoulders as an old man, looking at you and saying, no, no, no. Listen to me. I urge you towards this. You must do this. This is for your survival. 
This is Peter throwing water on your face. Listen up here. So it's worth just pausing as we even just like, you know, if you're meditating on this, saying, Lord, give me ears to hear. Give, give, them, give me an open and soft heart to, to receive what you were urging through your apostle for your church right now. I want to receive that. And give me the same urgency that Peter seems to have to receive this word and fulfill it. I urge you. So that's the first one. Uh, Then I would want to draw your attention to this abstain from the passions of the flesh. So, Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Abstain from them. That, that word abstain, you know, it means to, to like resist, right? Or stay, stay away from them. Or uh, for some of you old enough to remember, the, the Just Say No campaign, yeah? Nancy Reagan, early 80s to the early 90s. Just say no. This is, this is Peter's just, just say no to them. Stay away from them. Well, stay away from what? He says, abstain from the passions of the flesh. And I think that, that phrase, of the flesh, is important there. So he doesn't say, uh, just abstain from passion. Right? Because is passion wrong? No, passion's not wrong. Jesus was passionate. Remember, he, he was talking to his disciples. He said that uh, he, he looked at his disciples and said, I'm very I'm passionate, or they translate it desire, same word though. I, I very much desire, I'm very passionate to eat this Passover with you. Jesus had passion. Paul, in uh, his letter to the church in Philippi, says that uh, I desire or I have passion to die and be with Christ because that's far better. Paul had passion. That wasn't evil. To have a passion for uh, righteousness in your own soul, that, that's a good passion. Or to have a passion that your, your children would walk with Jesus, that, that's a good passion. Or to have passion to see that justice is done in the city, that's a good passion. Or have passion that you are an honorable employee and shine the light of Jesus in the workplace, that's, that's a good passion. So he's not against passion here, but it's a, a certain type of passion. It's the passions of the flesh. So what's that? Passions of the flesh. It seems that the, the flesh here is referring to this, this inner, inner being, this part of you that uh, we could sum it up. It says this, this part of me that is anti-God. It's this, this part of me that wants to resist what God calls me to do. You actually see it, similar phrase in chapter 4, verse 2. If you turn there, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. You see the contrast. The human passions are against the will of God. This is actually, you see this throughout the New Testament when uh, the flesh comes up like this. Or let's go back to Galatians 5. This is probably the most prominent passage that compares these. But just so you can see what he's talking about here. Galatians 5. Beginning of verse 16, it says, but I, this is Paul talking now, a different author, but I say, walk by the Spirit, 
and you will not gratify the desires, which same word, the passions of the flesh. And notice the contract then, contrast between them. Walk by the Spirit, and you won't uh, gratify the passions of the flesh. Because the passions of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. See this war. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you were led by the Spirit, you were not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Here they are, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I I think that phrase right there at the end of that is helpful. And things like these. Paul's not trying to give an exhaustive list. He just rattled off 15 ways that are kind of built into us that we seek to, to live apart from God. Some of those are physical, like physical acts. Some of those are speech. We want to say things. Some of those are just going on in our mind, in our heart. Right? Jealousy. Having conversations about people in our minds. Saying mean thoughts to people in our hearts. These, these are the passions of the flesh that Peter says we are to abstain from. But then he goes a little bit further, because that's, that's, you might say, the ordinary command, the daily charge. You notice that this is for everybody. This is, this is not a charge to abstain from the passions of the flesh when you're young in the faith, and you'll have passions of the flesh then. I wish it said that. <laughs> Been 20 years now, and it's still there. doesn't say that this is for a certain gender, or for certain types of personalities, probably not you. This is, this is for everyone. This is the daily charge. This was the charge yesterday. You, if God gives you breath tomorrow, it'll be the same charge tomorrow. And you're here today with breath. God gives you this very charge today. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. And now he's about to kind of up the ante. Because he says, beloved... I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. I mean, he's just taking this to a new level here. This is, this is now battle language. This is not the, the passions of the flesh or, you know, they're just... They're just trying to nudge you a little bit. They don't really want to disrupt things too much. They hate you. This part of you that is anti-God wants to destroy you. If you if you painted a picture of this, this might be like the you got some soldiers right outside your house. You got some tanks. You got some missiles. You got put some bazookas, some grenades. And they're all lined up. It's all right at your house. It says they're coming for you. Every day. Your passions. Of your flesh. 
And notice notice where the target is. At your soul. This is, you know, this, this would be one thing if the battle was out there. You know, later in the book, uh, he'll, he'll talk about Satan uh, prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Satan finally shows up in the book in chapter 5. It's not talked about before then. There's, there's other problems we've got to deal with before we talk about Satan. That's a, that's a war out there. This one is inside. So that, that picture of the soldiers being outside doesn't really capture it. You'd have to paint the soldiers right in your gut, trying to shoot you up from the inside. Waging war against your soul. Now, I don't like that passage. Because I don't like to wake up and think that I, I have war going on inside of me. But do you know that war? I hope you do, because if, if you don't know the war, you're in trouble. Peter here seems to assume followers of Jesus have war. No war would mean what? There's, there's no contrast. There's no spirit. Right? There's the passions of the flesh, according to Paul, are against the passions of the spirit. If you don't have the war, then you don't have the spirit. So in one sense, I, I, just, I don't like this passage. But in another sense, I love it, because this gives me comfort. That if you experience war inside, if you feel that today, if you felt that while you were getting ready and somebody wasn't doing what you were asking them to and you felt like screaming at them, and yet something inside you said, no, I don't want to do that, that's not honoring to God, and you're having this battle, that's a great sign. That's good, you should be encouraged by that. The war that rages. The other thing about this is that we, we, should, we should be comfortable about talking about this. I mean, everybody that showed up that you talked to today, like we like these, we like these niceties, which are, which are good, like, right? I mean, it's, it's good to have niceties. It's good to have small talk. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, yeah, I'm doing well. I mean, just think you, you walk into the office tomorrow and say, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm at war. I got a war going on inside me. What's going on inside you? I mean, everybody you look at today, if they're a follower of Christ, this is true of them. There's a, there's a battle raging inside of them. What does it look like to care for one another in that setting? To say, hey, man, hey, sister, I know there's war going on inside you. How can I pray for you? What's going on? You know, we should assume this about each other, not assume that everything's cozy. Everybody's got war going on. This is war. So that really hits the command. First, we hit the tone, this urging, urging, and then the command, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So that's the command uh, that he's urging us towards. Uh, the danger of, of everything so far is if we shut down and went home at this point and said, now go ahead, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Okay, go do it. Now, you're not going to get very far with that, right? It's sort of like, uh, I learned this one yesterday. I like to look up these things that are impossible to do with your body. Here's one. So if you take your hands, put them like this, you know, fingers lined up, 
you should try this. Go ahead, try check check this out. And now take your middle fingers and put them down. So it should be like this here. Okay. Now hold your fingers, middle fingers down, and do this with your your pointer finger. Take your pointer fingers apart. You can do that with your thumbs. Make sure your fi middle fingers stay down. Do it with your pinky. And now try it with your ring finger. Keep those middle fingers down. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> you can't do it. <laughs> it's a test of strength. You can't do it. Here's one more. I learned this one yesterday, too. So take your right hand and go forward circle. Okay, take a break from that and do your left hand backward circle. Okay, now as you're doing backwards, let's add that right one in again. Do forward. It's cool, eh? You can't do it. Wouldn't it be a ter terrifying thing if, if Scripture just gave us a list of commands and said, now go do it, except the very thing we can't do. We don't have the power in ourselves. That's why when we talk about making maturing followers of Jesus by the power of the gospel, like when we read, we want to say, well, where's the, where's the power for that command going to be? And he gives us motivation in the passage to actually give us energy and power to motivate us to actually pursue the command that he's giving to us. And the first one you see there, right at the very beginning of verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Beloved. The beloved of God. Beloved, the idea of uh, precious or the one who is adored. Now, some, might, some would think that beloved is talking about Peter. Uh, the, the, the audience is Peter's beloved, which may be true. I'm with the other camp that says, no, I think this is referring, Peter is calling the church the beloved of God. It actually comes out of verses 9 through 11. If you just scan your eyes up, where he's telling the church, you are a, you're chosen, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. You are the very beloved of God. You are adored. God's crazy about you. You know, God likes you. He, does, he didn't just bring you in your family and then say, now stay over there. He actually delights to watch you. I don't know about you, but I, I, what's hard for me as I like, grow in, in maturity, I actually feel like this becomes harder to believe in some sense when my sin is ever before me. So the battle actually keeps raging, and I understand the holiness of God more. I actually find it harder sometimes to believe that. How, how could God beloved me? How could I be one of the beloved? I mean, look at me. Look at the war that goes on inside me. Look at the thoughts I have. Look how highly I think of myself and how I want to self-serve myself and live for my own fame. This is, this is disgusting. And yet God would still call me the beloved of him? The apple of his eye? This doesn't make sense. And so I've, been, I've really been enjoying this song. I, th I think it's called, 
uh, I am who I, or uh, who you say I am. I think this is the name of the song. I just really like this this phrase. The it's part of the chorus or the bridge or whatever it's called. Uh, but it says uh, I'm not. A, I don't know music that well, <laughs> as as you can tell. Um, where it says I I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. I love it. God, I am who you declare me to be is, is who I am today. I, w- I want to bank on that. I am beloved by you. I am chosen by you. I am a, ro- a part of a royal priesthood, part of a holy nation. I am part of your possession. I am your beloved. If that's what you say, then that's true. Now, how then, how... How does that actually empower me to abstain from the passions of the flesh? Well, maybe, maybe this week you do something for someone and you don't get recognized for it. They don't even thank you. I mean, who in the world does that? Doesn't thank, did, they didn't even see what I did. Do they know how long that took me? I didn't have to do that. A simple thank you is all I need. And you're ready to give a cold shoulder? Hmm? Or maybe uh, I'm not going to do the next service thing for you? I guess I'm not the only one that acts like that, right? It's this desire to rebel. To, I'm going I'm to make you feel the, the displeasure I have with you because you didn't thank me. Now, this whole context, actually, of this book right here in Peter, it starts in 2.11. He's actually going to talk about all the way to 4.11. What does it look like to live in this broken world when you're oftentimes mistreated? And his very first word out of his mouth is that, first of all, you must know that you are beloved of God. Yes, you will be mistreated. And if you're going to try to find your hope and satisfaction in other people thanking you, other people treating you nice, you're going to be destroyed. But if you bank that you are the very apple of God's eye, you're beloved of God, well, then we can live a little bit more free, can't we? I don't have to live for the appreciation of other people, the thanks of other people, because God's crazy about me. Or maybe, maybe take this illustration. Uh, let's, let's say there was some young... Uh, let's, Young guy, uh, you know, he's playing high school baseball or s- some sport or something, uh, or or a musician, let's say. And the musician's doing a recital, and uh, you know, everybody's there because she's this up upcoming musician. She's supposed to be really great, but she has an off night, and everybody's there from town, and you know, they write up an article on her the next morning and say she's not what they say she is. That was, that was one of the worst recitals I've ever been at. That was terrible. And she goes to the next newspaper, same thing. Everybody's writing all these slam, these hit pieces on her. She's a nothing. Now, she reads those, she's crushed. Absolutely crushed. But then she gets a phone call from this well-known musician, one of her, one of her favorites. And she says, you know, I, I was at the recital last night. Yeah, I know it wasn't the best night. I've had those two. I think you're amazing. And I want to train you myself. 
Now, what, what do you think she thinks about all those newspapers at that point? Who cares about them? I don't need that, because the one person in the audience that really matters thinks I'm great. Brothers and sisters, you who have been cleansed by the blood of Christ, who God has given his very own son to redeem you and bring you into his family, you are the very beloved of God. And therefore, we are free to lose in the world. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. As sojourners, as exiles, you know what sojourners and exiles are, right? A, so- a sojourner is one who's just, just passing, passing through. I was, at, I was actually at this, uh, my oldest child had a, like a school conference thing. It was like a two-day conference kind of thing because um, she's doing online school. So it was like a Christian home educators workshop. Uh, and so I went, they have all these like talks that the kids go to and all the adults go to. So I go to this talk that's on time management. I thought, I could always use better time management. That, this should be great. So I'm sitting there, and I'm one of the first people in the, in the room. And, uh, you know, in walks this mom, and then there's another woman and another woman. And I, I learned to realize, like, it's all women showing up here. <laughs> this is kind of interesting. I, you know, I, didn't read the, I didn't read the description. I just saw the title. So the room starts packing up, and uh, she starts, the, the instructor then starts talking about, like, tips for, uh, you know, if you're a homeschool mom. And I thought... Okay, how do I get out of this one? I'm a sojourner, just passing through this one. Uh, eventually, actually, it filled up so much that they had to push people to the corner, so I sacrificially gave up my seat and wanted to serve. But as a sojourner, right? It's, it's, I'm not here to stay, I'm just passing through, or an exile. Uh, exile, uh, both of these are pulling up Old Testament imagery. The exile. When the, when the people of Israel, they're not living in the homeland. Israel is supposed to be the homeland. They're, off, they're down in Egypt. They're in exile. Then later they're in Babylon. They're in exile. They're, they're cast out of the land. That, but that's not home. Both of these imageries uh, have the idea of saying you're not in the place where you, your homeland is. And in both settings, then, you, your expectations what uh, of what to expect where you are currently, like if you're sojourning or you're exiled, your expectations of good treatment go down dramatically because you're not, you're not from there. You're not expecting all the pleasantries of the citizens there. So all your expe- expectations of where you currently are go down and all your hope for the homeland go up, right? Because you realize, like, this is not home. That's my home. And there's, it's supposed to stir up a longing for home. And you know, the, the, the reality is, anytime you can kind of keep your eye on the prize, it actually will give you a lot of energy and power to actually endure all sorts of hard things, right? I mean, like we're actually supposed to be, Lord willing, we'll be jumping in the van and driving to Florida uh, this Thursday. And some of you know, who know, like, I think Florida is one of the greatest places on earth, personally. And so, 
you know, I got the text that says, you know, I kind of, I've, had, I've had a really busy couple of weeks, and I thought, oh, I'm, I thought I was going to be coasting in to vacation, and then I got the text that, you know, I'm going to be preaching, and I said, ah, I don't care, I got, I'm going to be in Florida. I don't, who cares, what if it bombs? Ho- hopefully they'll forget about it by the time I get back. <laughs> but it's this idea, like, no, I, I can make it, I can make it, I can push through, because I'm, I'm going to get to Florida. Like, anytime you have something out there, it can really give you what we need to keep pressing forward. I know in the, when I ran the, Danik and I ran the Chicago Marathon when we were living down there in uh, 2006, there would be multiple times where you're just like on a pr- uh, practice run and you, just, you don't have any energy. And how, how do you get through that? I remember one morning, it was real early in the morning, it was really cold, running along the lake and the waves were just crashing and I'm out several miles, I'm freezing, I'm tired, and I'm talking to myself, and I just keep going, like, why am I doing this? This is the dumbest thing ever. Who talked me into this? What am I doing here? And I don't have enough energy to get back. And what I had to keep putting before me was there's this spot that as you're coming back right to the end of the, the trail where you come around the corner, and as soon as you're around the corner, about 150 to 200 yards, like, that's my stopping point. And in my mind, I just had to keep going, like, I'm going to turn that corner eventually. Not right now. It's going to be a while. But I'm going, to, I'm going to be there. I can see it. I can see it. I can see it. I can taste it. And you finish the run. So we ought to be asking ourselves, how are we keeping glory before us? I, like, I felt like Revelation was a, a good place for that. Because the, the John kept taking us there, right, to the, to the final celebration. But what does it look like for you and I in a given week? Where, where does keeping glory before our eyes happen? It can, it can be difficult to do, especially if you have young kids running around or you're just busy at work. And so much of everyday life just is going crazy. And you're just trying to get to the next task. Just get me through the day. I don't have to, let alone time to sit and think about glory. But that's actually what we need, is to be thinking about glory. So, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. I think it would be helpful if you, uh, as, if you can at some point today, think about how thinking of yourself as a sojourner and exile can actually give you power to resist the passions of the flesh. Even as I was walking the dog this morning, uh, Kenzie, because this can go in the positive or the negative, you know, she, uh, as we were walking, she saw a, somebody had a half-eaten granola bar laying on the sidewalk. And her instinct is to go grab it. And she's kind of got these food allergies, so I didn't want her to touch it. So I, I pull her away from it and I say, Kenzie, I'm going to give you uh, some uh, fish kibbles when we get home, you know. And now, I don't know if this is true or not, but I thought I saw her ears perk up and her tail get, like, for the sake of the illustration, let's go with it. She's like, ooh, yeah, I don't, I don't need no granola bar. Uh, I got the fish kibbles at home. And the idea of, like, the passions of the flesh, they tell you how good it would be. Just click on it. Just check it out. You, this is, you know, you can, we'll talk about if you should do it again after you click. Just go. Just try it out. I know, I know that would be hurtful words to say about that person, but just do it. Just like, 
It's a free trial. Just see how it, it, you'll feel good. And these passions to do something that we know that we're not supposed to be doing are so strong that we have to have something that's better. So this passage is not so much about just saying, just rid yourself of the passions of the flesh. It's fill yourself up with what's true and right. You know that old song, um, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things, and the things, of, earth, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. That's the principle here. You fill yourself up with what's true and right so that the passions of the flesh lose their luster. Or to retaliate. As we're walking, Kenzie, you know, the, a dog starts barking at her, and she, she you know, the, the, the dog, I don't know dog language, but it was probably like, ruh, ruh, I'm going to eat your face. Ruh, ruh, ruh. And she was about ready, <laughs> ready to come back at her. And I was like, no, Kenzie, we got fish kibbles. Fish kibbles. And she did. She held back. <laughs> I don't know, that's the illustration I came up with. I told you, you know, when I said terrible, I meant terrible. <laughs> so I think here, Paul, or Peter, that's, that's what he's trying to motivate us. Knowing that we are the beloved of God and sojourners and exiles ought to give us power against the passions of the flesh. And yet there's one more motivation that I read in uh, as we keep going forward in verse 12. Verse 12 here is probably better translated, keeping your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. This idea throughout the book, he's already said in 122 where uh, TJ started, having purified your souls. The idea in the book and the flow is like you have been purified and now keep yourself purified. Keep yourself from being corrupted by the, by the passions of the flesh. So verse 12 then is the positive, keeping your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That day of the visitation, the day when Christ comes again. Here, it says that Gentiles, you're referring to pagans or unbelievers, so the church is the true Israel, the Gentiles are the unbelievers. They will glorify God on the day of visitation. Really, you have two options. Either he's talking about the Gentiles or the unbelievers as they, as they see the church seeking to honor God, not retaliating when they're mistreated, loving one another, serving without grumbling. When they see that, they might not now. They might slander you now, but on the day of visitation when judgment comes, they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and they'll, they'll remember these moments. Yes, I saw it lived out there. Yes, I saw it lived out there. And they will confess he is Lord and glorify God in that way. The other option is that he's actually talking about your good deeds as you live out the faith will actually have an impact. And some, not all, but some will actually come to faith. And when, on the day of visitation, they will give thanks to God for the way you lived because that had an impact on them. So, for example, like some of you who know my story, um, the, I came to faith by and large, through the testimony of a, of a girl that was witnessing uh, to myself and someone else. And uh, she would regularly uh, come and talk with us, talk to us about the Lord. And uh, I was a really heavy drinker at the time. And I would engage in conversation and try to poke holes at all of her, uh, you know, this Christianity stuff. And uh, she would never get drunk, and it always drove me crazy. 
Well, over the course of months, she kept, you know, talking to us about the Lord. And uh, one night she uh, came over, and she, on her way, she had gotten into a car accident, and her car was, was totaled. She was fine, but her car was totaled, and emotionally she was sh- shaken up. And so as soon as I saw her, I said, finally tonight, Jamie's going to get bombed. Like, this is going to be funny. This is going to be cool. And so I don't remember if she had a drink at all that night. All I knew was that she did not hit the bottle. And I had no answer for it. And here she was, that month after month, she, didn't, she couldn't answer all my questions about Christianity. But all of a sudden I said, there's something going on in her that I can't figure out. Because I don't know how to handle life like that. And that very night, that very act, actually had a profound impact of me actually coming to faith. So that would be an example of me as I stand before the throne of God on the day of visitation and say, yes, I remember Jamie, that very act, which she probably totally forgot about, had a profound impact on me actually saying, that gospel's true. But either way, whatever it is, both of, both of those options have the idea of us resisting the passions of the flesh actually results in giving God glory. It is that not what you were remade to do. If you're a follower of Christ, that's what you long to do, to live in such a way that Christ is honored and Christ is glorified, Christ is celebrated, not you. And we'll end with this, this illustration. Uh, I feel like this captures it for me. One of the things I like to look up uh, sometimes is fan reactions, uh, fans reacting to different sports-like events. I don't really watch sports, but these are really fun. And there's a really fun one because I guess the, was it the Bengals uh, won the AFC this past year? I don't watch football. But you can watch the fans uh, when they won the AFC, and there was a, it was on a final kick. It's just fantastic to watch people go berserk. You got people, like, hugging one another. They don't even know who they are. Got, you know, people, some guy was doing a snow angel in his shorts and t-shirt, somebody sliding across the ice, people screaming, all going crazy for, for what? For all the sacrifices they made? For all the hard work they put in? No. They didn't do anything. What they're really excited about is someone else's glory. Because it actually feels really good to live for something so much bigger than yourself. We know this deeply within us. We don't want to live for our own kingdom. That shrinks the life or the world so small. We want to live for something bigger. And here the text says that as we resist the passions of the flesh, pursue to live honorably, eventually, brothers and sisters, it will result in the praise and glory of God, and it will be to our joy. May God give us the grace we need to pursue that. Well, that will bring us to the Lord's Supper. Uh, This is for beloved sojourners uh, to come forward and grab the elements. We will partake of them together. If you're a follower of Christ, uh, we invite you to the table this morning. Uh, It's not about perfection, but about direction. If you claim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, trust in his death and resurrection, for the forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, then we invite you to the table. Uh, if you're here this morning and uh, claim that, but don't strive to live it, and we ask you not to partake of the elements. Scripture says that it would be bad for your soul. Uh, or if you're here this morning and you do not proclaim Jesus as the Christ, the Lord, the Son of God, then we ask you not to partake as well. 
Um, but for the rest of you, you may come forward in inner parts of the aisle and then return with the elements and we will partake together. And it's not based upon your goodness this past week. It's based upon the death and resurrection of Jesus who gave himself for you to bring you back to God. For the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is for you. We're told that we eat the bread and drink the cup uh, until the day he returns. There will be a day of visitation. And that day, the battle will be over. There will be no more waging war against your souls. All your tears will be wiped. That day is coming. And then it will be said, uh, Peter says at the end of his book, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, he will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. One day we will see it. And the cup promises to get us there. For the Lord Jesus in the same way took the cup after supper saying, This cup, it is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me.